I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is with Nick Sherburn, the founder of Club Champion. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Really excited about this episode with Nick. I've gotten to know him over the years. We're both from Chicago. I've been going to Club Champion basically my whole life. Uh, Nick is a uh, a really good dude and knows so much about equipment. this year, I kind of I got bit by the retro club bug, so I've been playing a lot of uh, older equipment, and it's been super fun. And I've been thinking a lot about like different bags and sets of clubs that you could have um, that represent different eras, and and how you'd want to put those bags together. And I emailed Nick, and uh, literally he played golf in the '90s and you know high school and everything, but he started his business. Um, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, it was fitting a lot of these clubs that are the ones that I was looking for. So Nick was a natural great fit for this episode and really had, had a blast. I, you know, I thought this could be a cool topic, but I was thrilled about how it turned out. So what we did, what the exercise was, was we put together retro bags from the eighties, the nineties, and then the early two thousands. So kind of nominated what we would do for drivers, fairway woods, putters, and wedges and irons in, in every bag. And uh, it, it should, for people that played golf in those eras, should be kind of a trip town memory lane. You're, you're probably going to hear some equipment that you haven't thought of in a long time. And uh, I can't tell you how much fun I had thinking and, and researching and putting together these bags. So... Uh, a quick reminder, it's uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday season. We have a big sale going on. Uh, it's 20% off everything in the pro shop. That's outerwear, t-shirts, hats, photography. We have over, I think, over 700 different prints in the shop. So check that out. Uh, and then we have just a ton of gear. Uh, Meg Atkins and Will Knights have done an awesome job putting together our pro shop. So without further ado... Here is Nick Sherburn on Retro Sets. Nick, I have to say, um, you know, researching this topic, I I had just a flood of nostalgia, trips down memory lane, remembering like days on the driving range at junior tournaments and and what people were gaming. Uh, But this was really fun to kind of, stroll down clubs that I didn't play like the eighties clubs that, you know, they were still in bags in the nineties, but, but then the, really the nineties and the early two thousands was, was really fun. Um, welcome on the podcast and, and thanks for, thanks for doing this little exercise with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And, you know, normally I'm on podcasts talking about, you know, club fitting and club champion. And I know we'll t- discuss a little of that, but when you said, Hey, let's have a little fun building retro bags. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. And we, def- I, as we mentioned before we jumped on the recording, it's like, there was some rabbit holes I went down that were pretty fun. 
you know, this the impetus and the idea for this topic. Um, I have had some clubs break uh, this year, and it it left me with like, you know, I had this like set of FG seventeen Wilsons that were just like sitting, and I I was like, you know what, I'm gonna play these all the time until I go get a new fitting, and I I just haven't done it because I've been really busy and I haven't like just set aside the time. Did the clubs break by themselves or yeah, yeah, the epoxy the epoxy came loose and they're old. They're oh, okay. uh they're like Apex pros from like the early generation uh uh Callaways. Making sure there was no anger issues that we maybe needed to talk about. No, and then I had this driver, <laughs> my buddy who plays on the Corn Ferry Tour gave me a uh great big Bertha Alpha. And it's funny, like it's just a, a side note and I I don't want this to come across as an ad, but like I've gone to club champion multiple times to try and get fit for something new. And the guy that I've gone to for club fitting for a number of years now has been like, no, like I can't like this driver, you'd be crazy to change. Like your dispersion pattern is so tight. And I, and it cracked on me. I like almost cried when it cracked. So I lost my driver. (laughs) I lost a couple irons and I just was like, all right, in the meantime, I'm going full retro. So I've been going, I've been playing retro clubs. And one of the great things about retro clubs is it can be like, it can absolutely be a hobby for anybody. Because if you go online, you can buy like cool old clubs that were like great clubs in their day for very cheap. I was looking at like a ping TS, uh, TISI driver that's like $40 with, with a Pro 4 shaft in it. I was like, that was that was the driver for a couple of years. But anyways, that was the impetus of this this conversation is like what would be really cool sets of clubs from different generations if you wanted to have retro bags. It, I play a lot of classic golf courses and what I've found has been really fun is that I'm playing like the regular tees and I'm hitting lots of long irons into courses that would a lot of times if you're if you're if you have a pretty high ball speed it's going to be like a driver wedge fest. And that's that's been really fun. I'm kind of getting tired of it being every day, but <laughs> I bet it has been fun. Um, so that was kind of the impetus. And um, let's kind of get into it. I, I we, For this, we did 80s, 90s, and 2000s. And the thing I found, and I'm sure you found, but like the 90s is probably the hardest one because there was so much innovation. I agree. It was harder to make a decision on which ones. I actually put like two in a lot of places where I'd be like, (laughs) I'd be really on the fence with this. Um, 80s, I found to be the toughest only because I was born in 83. So like, yeah, I played, I actually played a couple of the clubs that came in the 80s, to your point in the 90s. But I didn't really, you know, I wasn't a golfer then and whatever. And so that one I found to be a little tougher. But yeah, this there were some interesting things. I can't wait to divulge some of my my findings. That's that's the thing. Like the 80s, I feel like this like golf, like mid 90s is where like equipment changed forever. But when you're like in the even into the late 90s and you saw it on tour, I mean, Davis Love. At Vegas, that Vegas tournament that Tiger won, his first win on tour, Davis loves in the playoff playing a persimmon driver. Yeah. It, it's, it's, that's when the world kind of just changed. But at the, at the end of the 90s, the bags were still filled with 80s clubs. Like, you know, there were yep. still tailor-made burners floating, floating around. So let's, uh, I'll let you start. Let's talk drivers of the 80s. What, what do you got? 
So again, this was tough because I was not a golfer in the eighties. I didn't become a golfer till early nineties. So I, when doing research, I think if I were to played a driver in the eighties, it probably would have been either Taylor Mates Pit, Pittsburgh Persimmon or the Ping I two Persimmon Wood, which actually I did play one of their Ping, Ping I two Fairway Woods in the early nineties. Those they had the laminate then, yeah, which like completely changed the game. And those stuck around for a long time because they didn't break as easily as the persimmon clubs. I had a couple here. You actually have these woods of mine in your office. Uh, the Hogan Apexes. Yep. If you're looking at like a persimmon set of persimmon woods, these are like absolutely gorgeous. Well, and they were one of the most famous like in the 80s, like one of the best selling too. Um, that was actually in that would have been an honorable mention on mine. I I've I've seen yours. I've seen them a couple times. I've never actually hit one. I should just take yours and go hit yeah, it. Yeah, you should. But, I'm uh, not gonna say anything. I'm not gonna. <laughs> that was a good one too. Um, and then I, for my honorable mention, I've got like the TaylorMade uh, Tour Burner, the metal, the n- original metal wood. Yeah, that's. Well, yeah, that that's kind. Of, yeah, I did the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh persimmon, but I guess that was pro- that was more like late. Like it was like seventy eight, seventy nine, and then it got big uh-huh. and early, and then they came out with that. But yeah, that's awesome. Pittsburgh persimmon was the first metal, right? Right. Yeah, Pittsburgh persimmon was the first metal driver I think ever designed. Well, it was the first mainstream one, that's for sure. What do you have for fairway woods? Well, this was one of my favorites, and I actually played this in the nineties for a year. I probably my whole high school career almost. I had two fairy woods in high school. The other one I'll talk about in the 90s when we get there, but the Callaway S2H2. Oh. And it was a tiny little bore through, little head. It was small, but like a, a, a decent amount of tour guys played. I think like Freddie Couples is how I got onto it. He was smoking one. And, you know, in the I, I played it in the 90s. I, I didn't play golf in the 80s, but I just remember thinking it was like the coolest thing ever. I think I even reshafted it once with a uh, Pro Force Gold in the 90s uh, <laughs> by UST. We're going to have to talk about that shaft for, at length because that was like an iconic uh, piece of equipment in the 90s. Um, that that three wood. So my uncle was a great player, well, not a great player, a really good amateur player. And as a kid, he had, I think the next iteration of that three wood was the Bobby Jones of Callaway. I think it was the Bobby Jones three wood. And I, I just remember he used that into like the two thousands. And I thought it was, I mean, I hit it a few times and I was like, this is like one of the greatest fairway woods ever. And I haven't ever hit the S two H two, but like I look, I was looking at it online and the head, it looks so similar to that Bobby Jones. And I yeah. mean, Callaway, Callaway was such an innovator in the three wood and like I think the fairway, obviously the the Big Bertha is, is going to be a topic of the '90s, but like the three woods and what they did with fairway woods, and it was very very innovative with the Big Bertha and the Warbirds. But before that, the S two H two was probably the the thing that started everything. Yeah, I remember just hit. I it didn't have much forgiveness, but again, '90s we didn't really have a lot to tell us what was good <laughs> outside of we just could you hit it right, and did you like the look and the feel. I just remember it looking good, feeling good, and it would hit these low, like, screamers that just went a mile at the time. And I was like, man, I love this thing. Plus, it had, like, you know, some of the tour credibility. It was just kind of cool as a, you know, high schooler or whatever, junior higher 
Um, and I, I reshafted that thing a couple different times. I even at one point, this is how sick I can get is I re I took it to a, but it had like, if you look it up online, you can see it. It's a little gray, like old satin finish. I took it to a buffing wheel and made it like, and this was kind of popular back then. Yeah. So people would do this. And I buffed it and made it like a mirror finish. And it was really cool. It's uh, that's kind of along the lines of uh, was it the the Titleist head cover? If you turned it inside out, TaylorMade it was a TaylorMade burner one. You turn it inside out, and it was like that crazy, like um, it almost looked like the Big Lebowski's coat. Yeah, it was like woven. It was super cool. Um, for my fairway woods, I had you know at, this was pre hybrid, so I I kind of cheated. I got two in here. I had the TaylorMade tour spoon. The little that's a good oh, that is a good one. In fact, I know I had one of those too. That I forgot about that. Good one. And then the Cobra Baffler with the rails on the bottom, the wood, the wood with the rails on the bottom. It was incredible at digging balls out of rough. You know, I I don't know if I even I'm gonna look that one up because I wouldn't have guessed that was the eighties. Huh. Cool. I think I think it was the eighties. I'm I'm fairly it probably certain. was now that you said it, I think it probably was. Um, I never played one, but I definitely remember it now that you brought it up. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. My dad's not a great player. One of my memories of it, like my dad's like, you know, he's, he's like a, he uh, probably at the time between a 12 and a 15. And I remember as a kid, he was like 240 out in thick rough. And he just hit it and he hit into this group. And I'll never forget it because like we never thought in a million years he'd get there. And he hit into this group and it just like is it, that's a shot that I'll never forget from my childhood. But like the the virtues of that club and it's I think it kind of was something that like went into hybrids was like it was really easy to hit. And and the thing it was really great at was like getting you could hit it out of pretty thick rough. Um, you know, long irons then were just a disaster out of the rough. Well, fairway, fairway woods. When you, when you really think about like the ones we're talking about today, honestly, that was that generation's hybrid. Cause there, to your point, there was no hybrids, but fairway woods were smaller. They had more rounded soles, things like that. You could dig them out of stuff where once like the, the, the speed height hybrid fairway wood came, it kind of created the need for a hybrid because the, it flipped the script where you didn't need it so much back in the day. Um, question. I've got this PT three wood and when I shake it, I hear epoxy. You know, if I, when I swig, I hear epoxy. <laughs> this is a club I've been playing all year. I th I might not go back to modern three wood. I might keep this. I love it. By so the way, much. the title is PT. Not to spoiler alert. Title is PT is my three wood of the nineties. <laughs> I I mean, Tiger made it so cool. It's it's yeah. insanely fun to play. It's insane. Yep. I've I've had more fun hitting that club. Like I hit it irrationally just because I want to hit it. Um. <laughs> I one of my questions I've I like have worried about the shaft breaking like or the epoxy. Can people still do the bore through shaft? Absolutely. Okay. Now I'm <laughs> not sure how many like if you took it to 
Tom Dick or Harry's place, you know, uh, the, the, a younger club maker, like even if it came to us, I guarantee if you went to one of our stores, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to have to send this back. And Nick's probably going to be the one that does it. <laughs> or, you know, I got two old school builders that, you know, I've been building with for many, many years. There's about three of us that would have no, we would love to do it, to be honest with you. Um, I can still whip a wooden wood, just believe it or not. I could actually, if you really wanted me to, I could refinish a wooden wood. I don't really have that many hours in my day anymore. Yeah. But if, if we were to go back to 1998 when uh, Club Champion started or EJL, which is the business that branched out to be Club Champion, we were pretty dead and we spent most of our winters refinishing wooden woods. So I can still do it. That's amazing. It's uh, that's I. I mean, the refurbishing of equipment. Like I, I got years ago a uh, terillium, and we could talk. I, I'm go, we're, there's two a rabbit holes with this. <laughs> yeah, the research, but it really like is. the refinishing of old equipment. It, it when you get something back, and it, it's just it's unbelievable. It brings kind of all the feels. All right, what about irons? What are you What are you going with? So. If if I had to play, and it's funny, we still have people walk in our doors today and still bring them in. Is and if I were playing with my ability, it would have been the ping I two probably. But the three sets, I have three sets. I would have I've got three needs. sets. It would here. have been ping I two, Tommy Armor five forty fives, and then here's one that people are really not going to know, but I know because when I got into custom fitting in the nineties, these were like the most custom you could ever get, which were Kenneth Smiths. Oh wow. Don't call me Kenny, Kenneth Smith. Yeah. That's, uh, I, so I have two of the three. I've got, I had three written down to, uh, Pig Eye Twos, Silver Scott, and then I've got the Titleist Tour model. I just think that they are like aesthetically, I don't know. Pretty. I don't, they're the, some of the most gorgeous irons that you can see, look at. Now, I don't think that, like I personally, I've I've been playing these FG17s, these Wilson FG17s. I think they are better irons, better perform. Like they are really like having hit both of them. I have sets of both. Um, I like the FG17s like more, but I think those Titleist Tour models are incredibly good looking. The other ones that I throw in here, that are like sneaky great irons, like and like street cred brand that like kind of no longer exists. The Maxfly Aussie Blades. Ah, that was that was gonna make my list. I went with the Kenneth Smiths because I was like, <laughs> well, nobody's gonna really remember those. Maybe they'll go look at them. But as a club fitter and a club maker at the time, they were just like kind of this really like weird nichey thing. But um, kind of like Henry Griffiths, most people don't know that. Like that was one of my first sets of ever. But like. Um, yeah, those those and actually, believe it or not, I was selling Maxfly irons when we started the business. That that was good stuff. In fact, I went and bought a set. Uh, one of my good customers, he's also become a really good friend after twenty some years. Hit one of the first sets he ever had was that set, that Aussie blades, and I went out and found him a set on eBay, refurbished them for him, and we found a shadow box, put them in. Me and his family helped him create this set in the shadow box of that, and it was really cool. Uh, that's. Yeah, I mean that's the cool thing. I you know my my FG seventeens I've been playing have modern shafts in them. Um, they have like my spec shafts from uh, the guy I it, Elliot at Twirled Clubs. I don't know if you've ever seen that account. They refurbish. They do all sorts of old yep. old school irons. Um, he was like trying to. He's like I was like, dude, you know it would be great if I could get modern shafts in them. And and I sent him the spec shafts I have in in the clubs that. 
you know, I've, I, I've used forever um, from you guys and he, he put those shafts in them. And I mean, that's, that's made it a lot more fun. Um, it could also be why I like them a lot more than the tour models that have like, they're, they're actually Lebron uh, Harris's uh, old irons. And uh, that could be that could be part of it. It's like the the specs are are more mine. Well, I um, we still reshaft. We have other folks that are similar to yourself that sometimes want a nostalgic set shafted or thing. And I always laugh when I hand them to sometimes our younger like builders who haven't maybe done a club from the eighties and like a club like that that may have a pin in it, <laughs> and they're like. They're like, Nick, I can't get this head off, man. Like, what's going on? I'm heating it up. I'm heating it up. And I could have told them. I just like to watch them kind of like squirm at it for a while. And uh, and I'm like, Did look at the hosel a little closer. And they're like, oh, is that a pin? I'm like, yeah, back then, epoxies weren't quite as good. I mean, every epoxy still has a chance to break. But like back then, especially, so they put a pin in there. And then that pin would keep extra stability. You got to pop the pin, then hit the, you know, the heat and then you pop the head off. And they're just like, they always laugh. I'm like, yeah, you weren't born in the 80s. So I know why that's not registering to you. <laughs> you know, the other thing about the 80s and the early 90s was the, you know, there were still like individual, like small shop club makers around. Like you just talked about Kenneth, uh, Kenneth uh, Griffin. No, not Kenneth Griffin. Kenneth, Kenneth uh, Smith. Kenneth Smith. And. I grew up in Lake Bluff, um, Illinois, north of Chicago, and there was a famous club maker that that had a shop at Onwensia Club um, called Hubby Hubjohn. I'm oh, sure yeah, you ran into the you ran yeah. into Hubby's clubs, yeah. but like you know, you go up there, anybody could go. You go up, he had like it was at the top floor of this old Onwensia clubhouse, like iconic old clubhouse. You go up there, and there's this this guy that was like he was a club maker. I mean, this is. You'd, we'd run across them all the time because, like, I got a ton of clubs at my church's rummage sale. Like, I'd go there and, like, I'd get, like, it, it was Lake Forest. Like, you get tons of golfers that just, like, turn in these sets of clubs that were, like, great clubs. And for a kid that didn't, like, I didn't have, like, money to spend on clubs, I'd go there and get, like, you know, these great clubs for $4. But ones that I always came across were Hubby Hub Johns. And I had, like, a bunch of hubby hub john clubs i would try out none of them ever like really worked for me but at this time one of the other (laughs) cool things was like you had these like just like individual club makers yeah well that and that's how i got mine i mean uh ever lockenvitz was a club maker kind of like that he would have been kind of hubby's age too actually maybe not much younger but about that and that's how he's who taught me 90 percent of what i know you know about club fitting club club building all right I should say club building more than anything because he was one of those guys. And so, you know, that's how you learn. Those those guys knew how to build a golf club. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, putters. Did you do putters? Yeah, I did putter. I actually did a wedge and I did ping eye too. And I think that's probably I, I just that would have been it. But yeah. And yeah. then putter wise, I did the zebra, which I own the Ram zebra. I I still own one for the originals. I I have one above me right here. Um, it it I mean, I I feel like that. You know, the thing about the zebra is if you walked into somebody's office or walked into somebody's like putting like mat at their house in the nineties, like there was like a ninety percent chance that the zebra was yeah. the putter that was laying there. <laughs> well, you know, again, this is when I was just getting into the game, but for me. I just remember everybody playing like, you know, ping answers, things like that. 
And those are cool, but like I was a kid and I'm like, man, this mallet looks cool because there wasn't really mallets as much then. And I'm like, there's some aiming device. It's kind of cool. It's funny now with whoever's relaunching it and there's now you can go buy a new one. I'm like, no, I'll never buy a new one. I would just refinish my original one if I really wanted to play it because it's 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 OG. I, I'd have to stay with that. I have to say um, putter innovation is one of the less like everybody talks about drivers, irons, all that. If you use an 80s putter, it's shocking how much harder it is to putt with. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, so I had um, I so I had I had I had a couple in here. I think like I'd, I'd be hard pressed not to go with a ping. Yeah. I like a ping answer. It could be the answer, original answer. I'm not sure that was the eighties. It might've been like late seventies, but like you had like the answer four that was the silver one. I think the answer two. you had, you know, all these different models of answer. And, uh, to me or the ping zing, the ping thing, sneaky, yeah. like yeah. cool. Butter. Like, I think is that the Laguna now of the Scotty? Yeah. I mean, you could, you could do the insert ping putter here, and just cover every ping putter. And odds are, I probably owned one or putted with one, and they were all pretty darn good. I feel like one of the the things about the like Ping's innovation is astounding. Like they were the innovative brand at this time. I mean, like you think of the irons, like they really, you know, and then you get into the '90s with the TISI, but like the putters, like they they really, I feel like were pushing the envelope. Well, I think I think they not that other companies weren't doing like engineering, engineering, but I think they were taking it more from a golf approach, you know, stuff like that with some general engineering principles. I think, you know, Solheim was an engineer at heart first and, you know, everything else. And then kind of like instead of being a golfer, than an engineer, he was an engineer, than a golfer. And I think that helped him break the mold of like what others were doing. And that's why, like. Ping I too. I'd be hard for me not to play a ping I too because I like a little forgiveness. That was really one of your first really game, you know, I don't know if you call it game improvement, but forgiving irons back then. And, and same thing with his putters. I think he took that same approach. It was one of the more forgiving. And I mean, if we're being honest, I mean, his, those, those, those kind of shapes and designs have lived on for 30 some years. Like those, those are the, still the designs you're buying, like across the board, like mo uh, so many brand, I mean, so many putters. Um, and then if you're going with a bag, it has to be a pig at this time or a Jones. You know what? I didn't do, I didn't do bags. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I still use a ping hoofer, so I don't, yeah. <laughs> It'd be probably like the original L8 at this time, the single strap L8, um, or, yeah. or like that Jones bag was a big deal at this time. I didn't do bags, but I'm going to ride with whatever you probably did because it sounds like you know them. But if that ping hoofer, the original one with the one strap, or what is it, LE, it's not a hoofer at the time, or whatever it was with the one strap, you're right. I owned one of those too. Yeah, it might yeah. not have had the stand at this point because I think I'm not positive and people are going to definitely correct me here because there's going to be a lot of inaccuracies. <laughs> but the uh, I think Jones was that first stand. So that might be, but I loved the, the no stand single strap ping out late, which, um, and then the hoofer would have been in the nineties. And, um, and, but the, I, I believe that the, like the second, the double strap ping L eight was like the greatest bag ever made. Now for a quick word from our sponsor club champion. 
yeah, that's uh, that's Nick's company that he started. They have their biggest promo going on right now. Um, so if you book a fitting from now until November 29th uh, using the code 100 fried, that's 100-100-F-R-I-E-D, like fried egg. So 100 fried. If you book a fitting now uh, till then, it's $100 for a full bag fitting with a club purchase, which is basically 75% off. Uh, if you just need a set of wedges or a putter or irons or you know, a driver, they are doing $50 for any other fitting type, which is a heavy discount with a club purchase. So that promo code is 100FRIED, F-R-I-E-D, and you can book these at clubchampion.com. Um, so the fittings just have to be booked between now and the 29th of November, but you can schedule them for January or February or whenever you have time. Um, what I love about Club Champion, they are the best in the business at fitting, but the best part about it is you go in and you find exactly what the right club head and shaft combo is. And that's the best way to approach what clubs you're putting in the bag. It's not about, you know, brands. It's about what's best for you. So go to clubchampion.com. They have their best promo deal of the year with the fittings and uh, use the promo code 100 fried F R I E D to get this deal. Thanks. And back to our retro bags with Nick Sherburn. All right. Uh, I got to ask you, so we're, we're moving to the nineties. And to be something that I, when I was doing this, that stuck out was like, this has to be like the golf shaft. This is just the, uh, this is the decade of like real, ev- like innovation. You could list 20 clubs for all these and you, you're not have a bad answer, but also the golf shaft. This is where, like, I remember this is where like customization kind of started, right? Yep. Yeah, I was a high schooler and I wanted to get customized, started learning, met Everett, started a business in the late 90s that now here we are 24 years later. But um, I mean, we'll jump into it. Like for me, I put driver, I put the Callaway Big Bertha, the TaylorMade Burner and the 975D. And the funny part is, is the burner came out. I had no money. Could my, my family could never afford it. But my best friend, whose dad could afford it and was a huge golfer who got me into golf, because my family didn't golf, he got him with the bubble shaft, and I about died. I wanted to hit it all the time, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I eventually ended up being able to get one. I worked one summer or whatever and get one. But the best story is the 975D, which is what I played pretty much all through high school, reshafted like 10 times with like – I had a Pro Force in there. I had a True Temper EI-70. I had a Graffoloid Pro Light in there. And actually, I borrowed the money from my grandma to buy it. And what she did is she charged me interest and she sent me a postcard every month with, you know, what the balance of my loan was, what I had paid in interest in the whole nine yards. It was a great lesson. And uh, that's how I got my 975D. That's like an incredible grandma teaching you like like this is the way it, this is what borrowing money is you know yep um i i have i have five written down one comical one <laughs> that i have to fit in is the wilson fat shaft 
Ooh. Hey, a lot of people bought those things, though. I know. But my cousin, up until like five years ago, he's a good player. Played in high school, like really good player. Still just had the a five, five wood fat shaft in his bag. <laughs> and he would just take it out and practice swing. So you'd hear the whooshing. What was the principle <laughs> behind the bubble shaft? That was a question I had for you. Yeah, you know, I used to know the answer to this, and I'm going to guess on what it is because I don't really remember after all this time, but I did. I mean, obviously knew at one time. I, I want to say what they were trying to create was a little bit higher kick point. So, like, you know, it's firmer up there at the at the top, and you know, but not make it play stiff. So, like, you had a normal handle, right? Like, a lot of times if you make a shaft that's supposed to be kind of lower launching, lower spinning, it's going to play really stiff for most people that think, you know, they really can't swing it. The bubble shaft allows you to have more of a normal, like, butt section didn't feel super hard to swing, but the shaft didn't throw it real high in the air. Um, I believe that's what they were trying to accomplish there, but I can't remember that well. Yeah. Um, so the old, I, I gamed a lot of my, my high school career was a great big Bertha with the pro force. That's obviously in there. I, I feel I've hard pressed to like put it over the big Bertha, which was like, you know, obviously like a transcendent club. The other one I had was the ping T I S I. Um, and I had it in here. I feel like everybody used it. And the thing that I like think is comical about it was how the weight in the back, like. <laughs> always popped out always fell out now here's the other thing that hosel okay so the ping isi was huge and you know i owned one of those uh because that was later like when we we had the business going so um and, and so we didn't sell ping at the time we couldn't get an account but we had tons of people who would come to us and want it reshafted for folks that may not know that ping isi had a plastic hosel and the idea yes. was is different hosels had different lie angles yada 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 and so, you know, they created like a little PVC pipe kind of like tool that we could use. And what we'd have to do is heat up a long rod, shove it down the shaft, heat it, try to heat it internally, and then take this thing off. And it was always a gamble of whether you were going to burn that that hosel or not and just completely ruin the whole thing. Then they eventually, you know, people knocked off the hosel. So at least you could take out the one if you ruined it and put in a new one. But man... We reshafted a lot of those and they were a pain in the butt, but that was a good driver. It was a great, great driver. I think like the, the titleist run from this point in drivers was really great with the D, the J, and then the K. Like those, all three of those drivers were spectacular. It was something about the aesthetic look of the titleist at that time. Oh, so good. So clean. I mean, that night, I, I mean, I loved my 975D. I thought that was just like the greatest thing ever. And then I, you know, that was when I was starting to get really into club building. And, you know, you had a three and a half inch bore through, which just stiffened the crap out of the shaft. That was one of the things that helped them, you know, keep the spin and launch down, just like I believe, you know, they were trying to do with the bubble shaft. Then I found out, I'm like, man, this makes the shaft really stiff. So we started blind boring it where we would leave two inches of shaft in the in the in the bore through and then just put the the real shaft we want on it on top of that so that you really only had your shaft in there an inch and a half and then that really created some you know speed for me i had i had a lot of fun with that driver that had to mess with like fittings right the, the shaft would come out way stiffer than actual right 100 I mean, that's not you couldn't you had a bore through shaft it's not like you could pop it enough 
Yeah, and you couldn't measure as much stuff back then. So that was back when we really had to be like artists to a degree and kind of know what was going to happen um, because it, there wasn't a lot of ways to measure it back then. So I'm going to go with the I, I'll go with um, I'm going to go with the D. I never I never had the big bubble shaft. I you know, that was something I always wanted that one of the things about the burner bubble is underrated things, the, just the color of it. Well, so I ended up, I got a driver. I ended up, you know, over time, building up to buy these things and whatever. I remember I used the three wood for a super long time. And actually, back in the day, I used to not use a T. I used to take the, the like the toe of that three wood, hit it in the ground, create like a dimple, and then put the ball on top of it and smoke it off the T. That's what I would do. And so over time, the 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 copper paint would wear off. And this thing just looked like a nightmare. And then eventually, just like I did with the S2H2, just like I did with the three wood, the PT, I eventually just made them all shiny, buffed them up, made them shiny. I There was something with the D. If you took the finish off the 975D, it looked really cool, too. There, This this was yep. like the time when you took finish off. And it was like, they, you know, that was like the ways, you know, you had the inside out head cover, you know, guys yep. that had the finish off. Like, you're kind of worried about that. Like, it was like, I feel like in junior golf at this time, and I don't know if it's like this because I'm not a junior golfer anymore, but there was like, Certain people's bags intimidated you. Yeah, absolutely. I tried to be one of those people. I didn't have the funds <laughs> to do it, but luckily I knew how to use my two hands. And we're, you know, coming from a smaller farm community and then getting into golf and having no money. You're like, okay, I got to figure this out. And I've seen how other things get you know, worked on. So I'm like, what's the difference? It's a golf club. I can work on this. Nowadays, I don't know if like, you, you know, with all the different materials, I don't know if I would be buffing out a driver, but actually I can tell you I would not be, but, uh, uh, back then we, you know, those solid head drivers, steel, whatever you could just go to town on them. Yeah. Um, all right. Three woods. This is, this is maybe the hardest nineties, nineties fairway woods. It's maybe the hardest, uh, selection of all. Yeah. So like I said, my number one would have probably been the title is PT. I loved it. The tiger effect, all that stuff. I get, you know, I loved play. I had an S2H2. I like playing too. So it was like a similar kind of size kind of thing. And then if it wasn't that, it would have been the TaylorMade burner for me. That's what it would have been. So I have a bunch listed here. I couldn't not like, I couldn't help myself. I, I think I'd take the PT. I mean, I, I honestly may never get rid of it. Uh, but also in here, I, you cannot, you cannot not have Orlebar tri-metal. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned that because obviously when I was looking, going down my rabbit holes and looking people and, and actually I was talking with one of our general managers here uh, for the central and I was like, he's like, you got to put the Olimar on there. I'm like, dude, I didn't like the Olimar when I was there. It wasn't <laughs> for me. I did not. I didn't like that shallow head. I just I'm a steep player. I didn't like it. Everybody loved it. Obviously, they sold a quadrillion of them. He brought it up. I saw it in every article I looked at when I was doing this. I just couldn't put it on my list. I swear there's something with like launch conditions, right? Like obviously this was at a time like that shallow head made the ball get up in the air. And I had a 17 degree or Lamar that went like almost as far as my driver. Like it was just, it was a beat. It, like you could just hammer the thing. It was, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a shallow swigger. So like, it was just like perfect for me. 
that that three wood it's that whole business case is like an unbelievable like kind of like story of how they kind of you know rose with the infomercials like that's the other aspect of it is like if you're a kid if you had Golf Channel on, you were just getting served with hour-long with Lamar. Lamar. <laughs> now, I will say, like as a club, as a as a club fitter and a club junkie, that was the first like super technology-wise fairway wood, like super hot, super easy to hit, ball in the air. Like it was the one that you know really got that firing up. The other thing is direct to consumer brand in the '90s, like almost like. You know, almost ahead of their time. If you think about like society in general, right? Like way ahead of their time um, in terms, and especially in golf, which is usually a little bit slower, like uh, innovation front. But like they were direct to consumer. Like if that, you know, that's like what every brand and, and consumer care, you know, or consumer like is doing direct to consumer. They were doing it in the 90s. Um, fascinating, fascinating company. Uh, other ones on here, Adam's Tight Lies. That was in the similar vein to the Oral of our. <laughs> well, similar story. I mean, in a really a way, but uh, now I did try that. It was okay for me, not the best, but yeah, that was another huge one back in the day. I think I had an EI 70 in that one when I played it. Other, other ones I had Callaway steelhead. I think that was at the very end of the nineties. Yep. Those were yep. spectacular. And then you can't not say the big birth of war Warbirds. Because they had the Heavenwood and the Divine Nine. The Steelhead for me was, I played that uh, for one year, and that was, that thing felt like a rocket ship. Oh, yeah. It was maybe, uh, that and Olimar, I don't know which one would have been hotter. They were pretty close, but that thing was, it felt and looked like a rocket ship. Yeah, those things went forever. All right, Irons. So I had for me the title is 962s, and I could have said the 962. I could have said the 962Bs. I was trying to think of what I would play. I'd want to play the Bs because two of guys played them, but I probably wouldn't. I play the 962s, and I actually put rifle 6.5 shafts because that's what I would have played original precision rifle 6.5. In fact, I had a set of 6.5 shafts in them. And I thought they were just like the coolest things ever. And that was that was my main iron. I didn't put extras because at that point I could have gone down a million rabbit holes. So I didn't. But that would have been that was one I played and loved. And yeah, I mean, spectacular choice. I had them on here. They were I, I was thinking about like this is like one of those irons like. I immediately like when I was doing this, I was like, you know what? It'd be awesome to have a set of those. Those they are spectacular irons can i uh, with the rifle shaft you know if, if i remember correct the whole thing was they turned the shaft inside out right well sort of i mean so really what what was cool about rifle is is if you take the steps out of it okay it gets thicker quicker and so the idea was is that you were to get this little bit different feel a little bit different performance the other thing is is you could create a little bit easier like better like um tipping situation so when what I mean by that is they could create a blank shaft where you could tip off, you know, take uh, 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 mass off the tip, mass off the butt, and kind of fine tune the frequency at the time. Um, but to me, it was mostly like it was going to launch just a touch. It was going to spin a little bit more than a dynamic gold at the time, which was really all there was, and or you know that kind of like a step shaft. It was going to launch and be a little bit smoother feeling. 
That's uh, I that was a big change. I I think I got them like late late nineties, maybe early two thousands. I don't know when the Ping i three came out, but I had them in those. Uh, the uh the others I had on here, the Hogan Apex blades at this time, yep. were like. I mean, if you want a blade, set of blades like those, those are among the most gorgeous irons ever. And then the Mizuno Tezoid, the Tezoid like pro amazing irons. One of the guys uh, that works for us, Cameron Hurtis, plays those still. Um, and they're <laughs> incredible. I, I mean, like <laughs> those were like those were an intimidating iron when you go against it, as well as the MP14s, obviously in there, too. Uh I have for a wedge, uh, the just out of comedy's sake, the pure spin diamond face scoring wedge for for anybody that watched Golf Channel in the nineties. Those uh, those were awesome. We sold those actually in ninety eight <laughs> or ninety nine, whatever. We sold those. What was the other one? Uh, it had a black face, and it was actually it could have an illegal face. It was illegal. Oh, I yeah, can't you could change it in and out. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. And they had the infomercial where they would like hit balls onto like a uh, parking lot and it would backspin in a parking lot on, you know, whatever. You just reminded me of those too. Shit. I didn't think about pure spin diamond, diamond face wedges. (laughs) Definitely had them, sold them. I actually went just old, old school with mine and I went Vokey 400 series. That was the first like Vokies and I got them and I thought they were like the coolest thing ever. I actually had, I sent them out, had them stripped. I was one of the first people to do raw Vokey wedges. Uh, and so, yeah, Vokey felt like a startup within Titleist, right? Because it didn't yeah. have like that Titleist brand. It was they were Vokies, and it's it's an interesting case study of like the idea of like having something that's different within your brand. Absolutely, and it hey paid off for them. Look at it this year's. I mean, Vokies still sell better than about any other wedge on the market at this point. Uh, part of that's their options and just grinds and everything that they do. And I think it also lends to show like when you're super focused on something, how you can make it really good. I think that's something Titleist has been good at. Like, hey, we got Scotty that does putters, focus on putters. We got Vokey that focus on wedges, do wedges. That way it's like very like concentrated. So it makes it good. All right, putters. So I only put one, and again, it's it, this is nostalgia for me. I did Scotty Cameron Corona, and that's because I, back in central Illinois, you do a thing as a kid uh, called detasseling. It's like the worst job you could ever do. You basically get paid for six weeks during the summer to walk up and down cornfields and pull the top of the corn out, the tassel, they call it. And it's how you pollinate it. And you get paid, like at the time, it was like minimum wage. I think I got like five and a quarter or something an hour. It was absolutely a horrendous job. It's so hot in there, just bugs, just it's horrible. But anyway, I saved up all summer and went to a golf shop and bought a title. That was when Scotty Cameron launched their first, like, whatever, the oil can, the oil finished putters. And I got the Corona and thought it was the cool. I had it forever. It was awesome. That was my putter. I think there are two choices here and they're they're Scotty Cameron's and it's the oil can and oil can series or what I chose, which is the Scotty Cameron Terillium. I never had one as a kid. This is something that I got at that rummage uh, garage or the rummage sale years. I found a beat up one and then I paid like at the time, like a hundred bucks to ship it into Titleist and they sent me back one. But like to me, there was no greater envy than somebody that had like a fresh terillium Scotty Cameron putter. So the long neck terillium 
to this day is still one of my favorite putters in my arsenal. I fought, I bought it probably 12 years after they, they came out, found a beat up one, had it completely refinished. It's sick. And it's still one of my favorite putters today. And and obviously Odyssey at this time had like that Rossi ballot. That was like a yep. big one. And then you had like the, they, I had a, a blade, an Odyssey blade. I think they called it the pro force maybe. Yep. It was. Yep. I, I love that putter too. Um, but those were what I gave. I, I couldn't, I, at this point I could not afford to get a, like a $400 Terillium putter as, as a kid. Yeah. Same. I couldn't get a Terillium at the time. I did, like I said, save up for that oil can and use that for a long time. But yeah, the, uh, the, the honorable mention I had, I, cause that was still, I mean, Steve Strickers, who make me think of that pro force, he used that thing forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a great putter. I never was a Rossi fan, but that that pro force was a great putter. That pro force, I think there was something like with rain. They sometimes get messed up. The insert would get messed up with rain. Oh, they they over the years they had different yeah different things with heat or rain on all those inserts and. Um, you know, at the time, not many people were doing a lot of inserts. That was like when inserts were becoming like more of a thing. Like I think Ping had their like the one that had like the pixels. Um, I can't remember yeah. what the name of it was. Things oh, like that. Oh, I love that like, putter. Yeah, I think I think DJ Singh might have won a turn. Somebody won something with that, and then everybody, every kid I knew wanted one. Um, but yeah, that was when inserts were coming. I mean, you can even say I called it the nubbins putter, but what, what was the yes, tailor made? I was going to bring this up the basketball. I think it was. And they put the basketball, they put it outside of a basketball on the face. I just remember like I would go to the store, um, cause we didn't sell tailor made time. So we were more like custom brands at the time in the late nineties, like KZGs and all these little, you know, Wood Brothers and stuff. We didn't have a lot of big accounts because we were just new and nobody knew us and we couldn't really afford it. So I would, if I wanted something like big custom brand, I'd have to go to the store like anybody else, even though I had a little golf shop. And I remember I would go putt with that thing. And I thought it was the most interesting thing, but it was funny. It would <laughs> grab the ball sometimes. So depending on how, like, if you hit a good stroke, you're like, man, this thing feels awesome. Then all of a sudden on a bad stroke, you're like, wait, the ball went sideways. What happened? <laughs> so um, it was, I can't remember if it was the end of the 90s or the early 2000s for that putter. I have it in the 2000s. I wasn't sure. I couldn't find the – I was looking online trying to figure out when it was. It was right around that 2000, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that butter is one of the most interesting design experiments of all time because it was like it was bad. They put a basketball, <laughs> the feel of a basketball on the outside. Like, wait, what? Yeah, it was innovation, um, I guess. All right. <laughs> 2000s. I think we got to keep this early 2000s. I hope you kept it early 2000s because I, I tried to. I feel like once you. Once you hit the 560 with that, uh, with the TaylorMade, that's when everything like kind of changed. And uh, so, well, I did the, I, I did, I tried to keep it as early as possible, but I, I didn't find the year. But like, I did five, the five, the R580 TP. I want to say that was like 2002, 2003. I didn't like look it up, look it up, but that was one of the coolest all time drivers to me of all. But you had to be the 580 TP. You couldn't just do the normal 580. You had to be a TP. It had that little stamp on the toe that yeah. that you knew it was the TP, right? That was like that's how you knew it you was were a cool. Okay. Hey, if you had that stamp on the first tee, you were cool. Now, 
What about the Graffaloi Blue? Well, first of all, Henrik Stenson played that. He might still play it in a fairway wood. I know he was trying to get out of it for a long time. But that was like the first like super low launch, super low spin, stiff feeling golf shaft to me. Like when I think about golf shafts and what felt like a pull, that was a Graffaloi Blue. That shaft, I think, was it? Eldala had the NVS, the green one, around this time too. Well, they had Eldala had the NV green. They had an NVS that was orange, but at the time they had the green that killed it. Then you had the Graffoli blue, and then the Fuji speeder, which the TP that 580 TP came stock with a Fuji speeder. Yes, that was a great driver. That that TP. Um, I I didn't have that on here, and now I kind of like I'm like, well, that was like kind of the driver. That kind of like the 300. I had the TaylorMade 300 series because I yeah. feel like that that kind of started the the run of like iconic TaylorMade drivers. But I totally guess you agree. go back to the burner, and the burner was great. But like I feel like where they like in the 2000s is where TaylorMade just like all of a sudden became this like dominant driver company. And 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 what I have because this was a personal driver that I used forever. That I just like. I, I used it until it cracked. I had that Acra. I had an Acra shaft in it. It was the Titleist 983K. <laughs> that that driver was fit by by you guys. I think that's when I started going to you guys. It was like a, a Acra, like red and, and silver shaft. Oh, that was their, that believe it or not, that was their original shaft. It was, uh, I think it was called the SC series or something. And that was Acra's launch shaft. I mean, Acra was kind of part of U.S. team, Mia, and it was kind of this thing. And when they broke off on their own, uh, that red and black was their first shaft on their own. I believe it was either the XC or SC series. Oh, that's funny that you just made me, you know, because that was when I was really getting like the business going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people were coming out with all this crazy cool stuff. And that was where like my brain was just like couldn't digest and I couldn't build enough stuff to play. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, other one I have here is the the launcher, the Cleveland launcher. I thought that was a great driver that they made. It was a good driver. I love the fairway wood more than the driver, believe it, on my oh, side. Yeah. Um, and I played that fairway wood for uh, a good chunk of time there in that the driver was really good, too. I mean, we we fit and sold a bunch and performed good. Um, but the fairway wood really stood out to me with that one. All right, fairway woods. I, I'll I'll start. I had the Acra. I had the fairway wood Acra shaft too, and it was in a Sonar Tech SSO three three wood, which I believe like that. I don't think there's ever been a better three wood made in in the history of golf than the S, uh, the the Sonar Tech SSO three. And I'm that might be something I go to the grave with. It was so good, and on top of it, for a club maker like myself. It was bendable because at that time, like drivers were starting to get a little harder to bend. Like back when it was persimmon, you were screwed. It was what it was unless you were custom making a persimmon driver and then you could kind of adjust it. But like a lot of these draw and then when they came out, these little metal heads, a lot of times you could bend them lying or whatever. That sonar tech was uh, almost specifically built for club makers so we could bend the lie. And at the time, that was really good. We can make it flatter, more upright and really dial a person in. So Sonar Tech was a really good one. I liked it. You were a little bit better player than me. I felt like it was a little less forgiving. So like you, if you didn't hit it on the screws, you didn't get away with it. The dry, the fairway, what I chose to pick was, because I, I played it a lot because it was forgiving, it was easier, was the TaylorMade 200 Steel. 
And, okay. and believe it or not, I'm such a geek on tour. They used to peel away the paint from the face up the, up the hosel. And the idea was it would make the driver look or the ferry would look more square or open at a dress. And of course I sat there and did that and like cut, made it just like the tour guys had and everything it was pretty cool. That, um, the, I had the V steel in here too, the tailor made V steel. That was a, Another I mean, I think you could play that right now and it would be, you know, you like, you'd, you'd be happy with your three wood. Um, the other thing I had, um, at one point, I can't remember when this was, I had a steelhead plus four wood and I thought the steelhead plus was like a great, great fairway wood that never gets talked about. Um, the three woods at this time were just rockets. Like the ball came off three woods so insanely hot. Another honorable mention would be Tour Edge, their original exotic yes. CB or CB2. That would be another one we need to add to the list because that thing was awesome too. That the Tour Edge, the, when it was an original one, the bazooka. I remember the bazookas. Wait, that might have been a 90s three wood. Yeah, I think the. the... It was definitely that it was like 98, 99, 2000 was bazooka. And then bazooka kind of lived on for a little bit too. Beyond that, yeah, the bazookas were good too, too. But the two, the, the exotic was the one that took it to the next level. And man, that thing was good. All right. Irons. So I put the, well, actually I'll just say this. I, this is where I put a rescue, uh, Taylor, uh, uh, hybrid in there. And I said the Taylor made rescue only because it was kind of like the OG one. Um, and I hit the crap out of it and I used it forever. They had the, the titleist one too, right? The titleist, what was the titleist one? Original one. They were, they were early, but it was almost more of like a driving iron. It had the screw at the bottom oh, of it or the weight at the yeah, bottom you're of right. it. I'm going to look that one up. I forgot about it, but you're right. And sonar tech had theirs too. And that thing yeah. drove nails too. That was pretty good. The Todd Hamilton, uh, hybrid. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but going to irons, I put the tour preferred. Uh, tour preferred irons for me, and that might have been more like 05, so it might not be super early. But for me, they were a set of irons that I loved playing, and I still today would probably love playing. They just looked good. They felt good. At the time, to me, they were like that first, like, as a person, it's like a five that floats between like a five and eight handicap. It was the first iron that I felt looked like what I wanted to play, which is like what every tour player plays, right? But I felt like I was getting the forgiveness and speed of more of a game improvement iron. I love them. And I still have a set. Um, I haven't played them in a long time, although doing this exercise makes me want to take them out and play them again. But um, yeah, that was my. All right. Um, I got here. I've got three irons. That I uh, that I'm gonna highlight the Titleist 990s. I thought those were gorgeous irons. The MP uh, Mizuno MP33s, which I used for so long. Oh, that's a good one. I had a combo set of of MP33s that you guys built um, that blended to MP60s in the three, four, and five, and I thought they were just like that. I gave them to my buddy. I, I'm actually, I'm so mad at my friend. My friend is like, I, he's my roommate. He's like, I want to start playing golf. Do you have clubs? And I'm like, these are going to be awful for you to hit, but you can use these. And they, I gave him my, my Mizuno irons. And he then turned around and gave them to somebody else who sold them. 
well, oh, that's yeah, that's dangerous. Like I used these clubs for, you know, something like 10, 10 years, maybe. And he, he just sold them down the river. But anyways, the, the final one, the Nike Pro Combos, I thought were really cool, innovative irons. Uh, I don't know. Was Mira making those at that time? Well, that's what everybody says, and I believe it to be true. I can never get a total answer out of like anybody at Miura, but I think they were. Was was Nike hard hard goods sneaky, like kind of underrated for a few years? Uh, I believe so. Like that. So that what was the original Blue Driver? I don't remember the name of it. Um, those were actually really good woods. The irons I played, whatever it was, their Pro Forge combo set. You know, I, yeah, I mean, honestly, Nike made a lot of good stuff. I mean, you could sit there and make people make fun of the square sumo, whatever thing. (laughs) Honestly, the sumo, I mean, it sounded horrible. It looked horrible. (laughs) It actually performed really well. And actually the square hybrid was one of the best hybrids. I, I mean, I fit a ton of people in those. Those hybrids were so super easy to hit. I actually smoked them. In fact, I missed, I, there was a Fujikura time had a shaft called the rum box. One of my favorite Fuji chefs of all time. And they had the yellow one. Can't remember the name of it, if it was Y or something. And they had like three different series and what the name was. But it was a yellow one. And I had I had shimmed a wood shaft into that Sumo hybrid. It was a total Frankenstein golf club. Never hit a hybrid better in my life. Of course, being a club junkie, you know, I switch. I go to the next thing. And then somebody took it. Never got it back. Similar story to what you were saying. And I still think about how well it hit that hybrid today. Still think about it. <laughs> All right, wedges. I put, I mean, this was, again, I could have put down 100 million things, but the Cleveland 900 Forge were one of my favorite, and I think I had them in, uh, you know, they were satin, so they rusted, and it was great. I mean, the rusted wedges at this at this period of time. I remember, and this might have been more the 90s, I remember I had, like, a, a wedge, and I used to put, like, a, a damp washcloth over it to get it to rust more at night like before before a tournament just like absurd stuff that you do as a kid jesus yeah i mean i what else did i do to golf clubs i mean i i definitely painted them i definitely rusted them uh yeah i did a lot i mean that was what's fun i feel like today they're not as easy to customizable you got to send them to do things because all the materials and stuff that are in them but you can still do a lot of stuff to to make them fun um, but there was, a, I mean, this was like wedges were huge that, you know, I used so many different wedges, but those Cleveland 900 did stick out to me. I remember specifically using them and liking them. They had the gunmetal finish. I feel like they were the first, maybe the first one that did the gunmetal, the black finish. Yeah, I think you're right. Who else did gunmetal? They might, I think they were the first. I mean, Cleveland was one of the first to do like a lot of different finishes on wedges. Like Vokey really didn't get into it well till well past Cleveland. I can't think of any others. Nah, that'll be. I'll go down that rabbit that. hole later. Now that you say that, so I'll be googling like wedges again from the night of two thousands, trying to remember. I had a sixty. I had a nine. A Cleveland nine hundred sixty degree that was gunmetal. That's how I just like remember. And I think I won it. I won it at a caddy tournament. I, I think it was I won it at the at a Conway Farms caddy tournament. Um, I won the uh, gunmetal 60 degree for something. Yeah, they definitely had gunmetal. They did raw, like raw gunmetal and chrome, I think, were the three colors you got to choose or three finishes you got to choose from in those. 
And I think they were the first ones to do that dark, more gunmetal finish. Like, mm-hmm. so, but that's what I'm interested to remember. All right. The uh, last but not least, the putters. Uh, I have the Odyssey two ball. Uh, so it's funny. My notes right here show Odyssey two ball. So like, again, we could list off, you know, a hundred putters. Right. And so I was just trying to think like, what was iconic a, what did I play B, you know, all those things. And, uh, I ended up not playing the two balls super long time, but I, I, I'll never forget it. And when it came out, because I seemed like talk about, it was like, that was like a tailor made releasing their first white driver light. Right. It was like Odyssey releases two ball. Everybody goes and buys one. It's unbelievable. It, that was, yeah, everybody had one. As, if I remember, there was some controversy about like with the, with it, whether it would be conforming and they wanted to do like the, the three, I think they wanted originally to have three balls, but the USGA and RNA was like, and it, it might've been that it was going to be longer. The putter was going to be too long front of, from the face to the back, then yeah. wide. And that might have been why it didn't conform. So then they cut it down to the two ball. If I remember correctly, that was like the gist of the argument there. This was like, I mean, this at this time, this is a, this was a, a peak uh, RNA US because you had the ERC. Remember that didn't get didn't pass. Uh, that got with like recalled um, for being non-conforming when it released. Right. That was the ERC had the super hot face, whatever. Yeah, you had the C4 driver, which was all carbon. I think they 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 questioned that. And then, right, yeah, the two ball. There was also some shafts back in the day. I don't know if you remember the shaft Stoltz. I can't remember. Somebody won, like, a major with it. It had, like, a triangular tip section. So, like, the tip that went into the shaft was round, but then it kind of went into this triangular. It was basically done with, like, paper mache. And then it went back to being a normal shaft. It's called the Stoltz. And that was uh, eventually deemed, I believe, um, uh, non-conforming. But one of the things I remember about two ball is, at, you know, they launched these two balls and then eventually uh, the tour that was heavily used on tour and you started seeing uh, tour players with a sight line down it. And so yes. they eventually started making a model with the sight line. But I can't tell you how many times I had customers come in and I drew meticulously with a permanent marker, a sight line on those. I Or I would take um, car pinstriping and I would take car pinstriping and put it on there and it would work out great. And I still occasionally today, because somebody will go find one or even one of the newer models, they'll find it just like you're talking about in their church rummage sale or a second swing or wherever, like out of the, you know, the, the barrel. And they'll be like, hey, can you put a sight line on this? Yeah, leave it with me. I'll put a sight line on you know, I did that myself and it was a disaster. I had the first, the first ball was perfect, but the back one was all crooked. And it was like, I did it with Sharpie. I could never get it out of it. It's not easy. Like it's, especially because it has a little bit of a curvature, it kind of goes down. I had to find, I finally found this piece of metal that was really flimsy and I would use it as my straight edge and then I would tape it on there and then I always would use a brand new sharp Sharpie. And so like, and then that way I got a really crisp line, but it would, it was always and still today, like trying to make sure it was centered. Cause once it's on there, it's on there. Um, so it was always uh, like, okay, let's hope I do it. Correct. 
Um, you know, one thing I realized we didn't hit on this, but I'm just going to run down off the top of my head what I would do for golf balls. You know, if we did 90s, I would say there was a few. There's the the professional, the Titleist professional, the the Strata, the Top Flight Strata um that obviously Hal Sutton used, the Maxfly Revolution. Um and then I would also throw in. Remember when Wilson had the titanium balls? Well, I I was about ready all to the say rage. I didn't know if you were going to talk about titanium golf balls, but I was going to bring it up. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I played the professional. That was like back then. All the kids. Taylor made had a ball that came in those little weird tubes that I thought was so cool. I don't even remember what they were yes. called. They were like Taylor made red and Taylor made black or something like that. Um, and then the last, uh, obviously the Pro V1 was when it changed everything. And you had the seam on the Pro V1, the original Pro V1. I'll never forget. You tee up with a driver with the seam going towards your target. And then if you're using yep. an iron, you move the, you, you tee it with the Titleist. And that, that obviously changed, changed everything at that point. Yeah, that was a good ball, man. Nostalgia. I'll never forget the first time I played a, 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 a Pro V1 in a tournament. It was nuts. Yeah, same. Nick, um, this was super fun. We'll have to have you back. We're, we're going to come up with some more of these. This was this was so... I, I mean, I had so much fun researching. I mean, I was telling my wife how much fun. She has no clue about anything about golf. I'm just like, I'm reliving all these childhood memories. And... Uh, and we'll have you back, but but thank you so much for for coming on, and uh, and we'll talk uh, sometime soon. Thanks again. I had a blast doing it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Uh, I I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did, and I hope everybody had a great and safe Thanksgiving. Um, we will be back next week with more episodes. Uh, we've got a big, uh, company announcement coming pretty soon that I'm excited about that we've been working really hard on, um, more details on that next week. But, um, in the meantime, if, uh, if you're listening to this and it's before Monday, our black Friday sale, uh, cyber Monday sale goes through Monday. So it's 20% off everything in our pro shop. Um, all that stuff goes to support us and, and allow us to continue to create the content and, and really take our company to the next level. So appreciate everything that you guys have done. It's been a great year at the fried egg and, uh, I hope everybody had an awesome Thanksgiving. Talk to you soon.